Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We're honored that you're here, and we pray that you find this message both encouraging and inspiring. I'm continuing with Jesus and money, part two. And um, I, before I get started, every year um, around this time, we talk about money. But also, there is just like an influx, I feel like, around this time of year that people um, reach out to me as we have talked about money or as we start talking about money. And they just say like, hey, I've gotten either a significant raise or a significant bonus or something. And so like, we've only been like preaching and talking about it for a week. And I've had like two people reach out to me within a week. And they're just like, hey, I just got a significant raise at work. I just got a significant bonus at work. And so um, I think it's awesome when you, this is, this is the point that I want to make about this. When you put your money in the right place, God is sure to be sure that you have more than enough, right? When you put your money in the right place, God is sure to be sure that you have more than enough because getting money is not about acquiring a bunch of money. It's about having it to bless other people. And so I just wanted to share that this morning before we get started, um, and I'm going to read from two different places this morning, Matthew 25, Luke 16. Um, let's go to Matthew 25 first. Yeah, that'll work. Matthew 25. How many of you, uh, how many of you have ever heard that, that term growing up in church? When I get to heaven, all I want to hear is, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've heard that? Okay, well, it's about to be a rocky morning if you think that's still true. I'm just going to let you know because <laughs> that ain't nothing. That ain't, that ain't, it's going to be a rocky morning. Just letting you know. So just prepare. Go ahead and just make up in your mind. I'm not going to get offended at what the Bible says. I didn't say it. The Bible said it, okay? That's sometimes like when you hear people that get offended at, like they'll get offended at like certain phrases or stuff like that. I think it's like very funny. I had someone tell me one time, I, I quoted Paul. And they were just like, well, I just don't necessarily agree with that. <laughs> it's like, sorry, like, sorry, it's fine. It's going to be a rocky morning if you think good and faithful servant is what you're going to hear. Matthew 25, starting verse 14, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two to the other, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He left then on this trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest money and earn five more. The servant with two bags did the same. 
the servant with one bag of money, dug a hole and hid it in the ground. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant, who had been entrusted with five bags of silver, came forth with five more and said, Master, I have, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have, you have been faithful in handling this small amount. So I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, I went and I earned two more. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount of money. So now I'm going to give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with one bag of silver said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew that I harvested crops and didn't plant and gather crops and I didn't cultivate them, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are giving, what they are given will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's good. Yeah, it's good. It's actually a place in Jerusalem where the weeping and gnashing of teeth happen. It's not actually hell, in case you were wondering. Yeah, well done, my good and faithful servant. <laughs> That's all about managing money. It literally is every bit of it. It's about managing money. It has nothing to do with your e the eternal destination of your soul. Well done, my good and faithful servant, is what, in this parable... The master says to the servants who manage their money well. Uh, turn to Luke 16 real quick. These are very popular, very common verses around uh, stewardship that I just want to pull some things from this morning. If you are faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. If you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy with worldly wealth... Who will trust you with the true riches of, riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with your own? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Listen, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Father, I thank you this morning for your presence in this room today. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, make adjustments where you need to make adjustments. 
make correction where you need to make correction. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Everybody say December the 4th. Say it again. Say December the 4th. That's when we're having our Live to Give offering. We just ask that you participate in whatever way that um, the Lord tells you to participate. So we ask that you pray about an amount to give in that offering. Um, We ask that I specifically am asking you, do not show up to church having not asked God and then say, well, they were pressuring us to give into an offering. Because I am telling you weeks out, that's not what we are doing. We take up an offering every year this time of year to give back to our community um, to be sure that like little housekeeping things around the church are taken care of and to be sure that we are stable as a church, right? That's what that offering goes towards. Uh, The majority of it goes towards giving to people who do not have during this time of year. So ask the Lord what he would have you give above your normal tithe and offering and then just give that. Um, So I just want to talk to you about stewardship this morning. Um, How many of you know that this is a really like awkward topic in church because everyone is confronted with all of the weird ways that they spend money that they shouldn't and you're having to look at their faces while you're talking about this and they're just like, I shouldn't be doing that. How many of you know it's very awkward for the person talking about this to see all of you this morning? So just smile, say amen, and make your adjustments to your budget after church because I don't want to see how badly this affects you, okay? Um, Stewardship is simply, this is just the simple definition of stewardship. It is the management of the property or the resources of someone else. That is the basic definition of stewardship. If you just Google it, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get something like that. I don't have a Greek word for you on stewardship, okay? I just don't, right? I don't have a degree in Greek, and I didn't look up the Greek word for stewardship. I looked up Webster's Dictionary definition. Hope that's good enough for you. Um, Stewardship is the management of the property or resources of another I have several notes that I want to share with you about stewardship, and then I want you to ask yourself, I'm going to give yourself, I'm going to give you some questions that you should ask yourself about just money in general. Are you ready? You don't sound ready. Are you ready? Cool. So we talked about this a little bit last week, um, but I just want to start with this. Stewardship 101, Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in the earth is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in the earth is the Lord's. Remember, stewardship is the management of another's property or resources. So the first thing that we have to understand about stewardship is nothing that I have is mine. Everything that I have is God's. Nothing that I have is mine, and everything that I have is God's. And I need to manage what he gave me according to the scriptures, faithfully as I know how to. Right? So nothing that I have is mine, everything that I have is God's. We have a problem with this in my house. Not with me or Anna. 
with my child. Because everything right now is mine. It's mine. Doesn't matter if it's yours or not. It's my remote. It's my knives, according to, according to Beckham. Everything is his. It's all mine. His toys, mine. And in fact, none of it's his. I bought all of it. <laughs> or it was gifted to you. So it's not yours. It's actually mine. But here's, here's something that I know to be true. When you figure out that everything that you have comes from God and you begin to steward that appropriately, you enter into a more mature state of life. Listen, I don't have to know anything else about you. You cannot tell me anything else. Show me how you manage money and I can tell you how mature you are. I don't need to know anything else about you. Because children think everything is theirs and they can spend it and use it however they want. And mature people know that everything that I have comes from God. And so I'm going to be mature in how I handle this. I don't have to see anything else. You just show me your, show me your budget, right? Show me, your, show me what you spend the most money on right? And then we can decide on a maturity level at that point. Listen, immaturity is just another way of saying selfish. Immature people are selfish. My kid is selfish, right? He doesn't know any better. Everything that is in the house, he grabs and it's his. And if you take, him, take it away from him, he gets offended. Have you ever tried to take something away from a kid? You need the jaws of life to pry their hands away from it. And that's, like, that's the way that we handle our money, some of us. We hold on to it with a closed fist instead of an open hand. And we hold on to everything so tightly instead of having an open hand. And all that does is reveal how immature that you are. Don't get offended at me. <laughs> Just making a statement. Listen, you handle things differently when you grow up. You handle things differently when you grow up. When you're paying for everything... Everything then becomes different. You cut them lights off. That's right, Pedro. Walk out of the bathroom. You better cut the light off in there. It's going to run the power bill up. That's right. In my house, we have this thing. Me and Anna have this thing. She wants the refrigerator door closed at all times. And so if there are groceries on the counter and the refrigerator is right here and I'm here putting it in there, I need to shut the fridge. That's wasting power, baby. It's wasting power. There's a light on in there. Right? And it only comes on when this door is open. 
But when you grow up, how you handle everything has to change. It has to. Have you, let me just ask you this. This is a fun question. Has anybody in here ever been broke before? Double broke, right? Tom raised both hands. He said, I've been broke twice (laughs) at the same time. Been double broke. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You handle things differently when you grow up because you understand the importance of being found trustworthy. You understand the importance of being found trustworthy. Listen, here's the next thing that I just wrote down about money. God chooses to partner with you. God chooses to partner with you. He takes his money, this parable that I read, and he hands it to you. And what you do with it determines if he can trust you or not. What you do with it determines if you get more of it or not. Not for the sake of having more money. That's not why you get more money. The reason that you get more money is so that you can take care of yours and everyone around you. You know the reason why God gives money? Like, you know, one of my favorite things about this uh, parable here is it says that that the master gave the servants a different amount of money and he gave them a different amount according according to how responsible they were and their abilities to make this money work the way that God intends it to work right so that tells me the amount of money that you are making right now is the amount of money that God can trust you with. And if you're not making any money, I know that may seem harsh, but he gave one to some. He gave one bag of money. He gave two to another, and he gave five to another. Listen, do you mean to tell you something about stewardship and giving? You can be broke as a joke and do both. You can manage money God's way and have no money. And you can give. You can do both of those things right now. You can. I have been there, done it, and got the t-shirt. I'm not just up here saying that you need to give all your money to the church because we don't have any money or something. That's not what I'm saying. You can have a little. And how you manage that little is going to determine if you ever have more than just a little. When you grow up, you understand the importance of being found trustworthy with resources, right? I think some people sometimes, they think that one day, there's just going to be this, somebody's just going to walk up. And they're just going to write you a check for all the money that you could ever want. Does anybody know anyone that that's happened to? 
right? No. <laughs> no, you don't. You may win the lottery. If you win the Powerball, be sure you tithe, okay? Be sure you give. Do you know why you don't hear of that happening all the time? Or you don't hear? Do you know why you don't hear of people, just somebody just walking up and someone just telling, like, hey, somebody walked up and gave me a check for $100 million. You know why you don't hear about that? Because God is not going to give you $100 million if you can't manage 100. And God's not going to give you $100,000. Do you know the most wealthy people that I know I'm, just, I'm shooting you as I can. The most wealthy people that I know are also the most generous people I know. I promise you, the richest person I know is the most generous person I know. I can take you to six different church buildings that he funded and built. And he don't even go to church at any of those. He's just saying, hey, y'all, need a building over there? Write the check. The wealthiest person I know is also the most generous person I know. I've seen him, I've seen him go and buy homeless people $40,000 vehicles. I've seen him take in kids after kid after kid after kid after kid and make sure that they have a life that's normal. And that he funds it all. He has a mansion and at this mansion, he has um, lots of toys at this mansion. <laughs> and by toys, I mean lots of ATVs. And literally, I'm not joking. I am not joking. The keys just stay in them. And he tells all of his kids' friends, come over and have as much fun as you want whenever you want. Come over and use whatever is mine. He has two boats because where I'm from, there's a lake. There's always gas in it. And he's just like, hey, come over and take the boat out anytime you want. Anytime you want. Because he knows that nothing he has is, is his. And everything that he has is God's. And so he holds everything with an open hand. Everything with an open hand. And God trusts him with abundance, with more than, more than, more than enough. And so, God chooses to partner with you. He gives His money and His resources and His property and everything that you have is given to you by God and how you manage that and how you take care of that determines whether you get to be the avenue of blessing for other people or not. Right? Malachi doesn't say that you're known as blessed for how much you have. It says that you're known as blessed for how much you give. The mark of a person who is living a blessed life is those who give far above what is asked. It's not those who just have a bunch of things. Do you know, have you ever met someone 
who has a bunch of things now that never had a bunch of things before? You ever met people like that? The only reason they have all of those things is because they never needed it. They never needed it. They never desired it. One of the things, one of the things that I think messes with us in America more than anything is consumerism. We see another person has something. And even if we don't have the money to go buy that thing that we would like, statistically speaking, in America, we just go into debt for it. Massive amounts of debt. I told you last week, the average American spends a dollar and fifty cents for every dollar they make. The only way that works is, is you spending somebody else's money. You in debt. The early church taught against debt, not because, I said this last week, not because they went through Financial Peace University with Dave Ramsey. Right? And some of you hate on Dave, but you need Dave. I'm serious. Some of you hate on Dave, but you need him. Or I could give you, I could give you some early church fathers and let them talk to you about debt. You're going to prefer Dave. Dave just says, work your way out of debt. The early church father says, pretty much you need to become homeless until you're out of debt. You should go live in a box. I feel the, uh, like the ground moving because I've been on the ship, so I'm trying not to move around much because I don't want to fall. almost fell off the stage over there walking off. I had to grab a hold of Jordan because he was my pillar of strength. My ram in the bush. Listen, he gave money to each. You can steward responsibly what God has given you right now. Right now, starting today, you can decide, I am going to steward my money responsibly. Listen, here is a question. I'm going to start some questions that I want you to ask yourself. Number one, this is a really tough one. Can God trust me? Can God trust me? Ask yourself that question. That's a tough question to ask. Because you have to be honest with yourself. Listen, here is the answer to if God can trust you or not. Here are some other questions that you could ask to maybe get the answer to that question. Number one, am I giving consistently? Do I give consistently? And if I don't give consistently, you should ask you this question, why do I not give consistently? It's not, listen, it's not just enough to say you should give. You have to get down to the root of why you are not generous. You have to ask those questions of yourself. Why am I not generous? Why do I not give? And you have to go and you have to comb through your finances. 
you have to look at why you aren't generous. And you have to, you have to come into a confrontation with you and your budget that says, I'm going to be generous out of this allotted money that I have, and I don't care if it's $100, I don't care if it's $5, I don't care what it is. You know why I, I still talk about the tithe? I believe it's a great starting point. And number one, it, it literally it just evens the playing field. 10%. That's why I still talk about tithe. It, it, it's just a good starting point. 10%. Jesus tells the Pharisees to tithe. Right? It's a good starting place for you. Do you give? That's a question you need to ask yourself. Do you give to, do you give to the church? Right? Do you give to the church? Do you, do you give in tithe and offering every single week or every two weeks or every month or every quarter or whenever? I, knew, I just know there's one guy who was really wealthy. He wrote a tithe check every year. Now, you know you got it when you can do that. <laughs> it's just like, I'm just going to tithe for the year. So I receive it, Father. Listen, here's another question that you should ask yourself. Number one, am I giving? Number two, am I content? Am I content? The number one thing that will keep you from generosity is consumerism and greed. And I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. Let me tell you like this is a random fact. I have spent... This is the God's honest truth. I have spent less money now that I am off of social media on my phone. Anna says, thank God. Stay off of it. I'm serious. I have spent less money. When I looked at how much less that I spend, I was like, my God. I don't know how God trusts me. Because I am not content. Them little ads that pop up. Yes, I need those shoes. I need all of those books that just ran across the screen. You have to understand, you have to understand something about me and my book purchasing. There's no such thing as buying a book. Right? You don't buy a book. You buy books around a certain subject. Right? Marissa knows. Marissa knows. There are 12 books on silence and solitude and Sabbath sitting on my uh, bookshelf right now at my house. 12. 12 of them. Not one. 12. Could y'all, how many of y'all have read 12 books this year? Mary, yeah. I'm knocking out them books. Right? I just need 12 books around this one subject for a while. That's how I buy books. You know that little thing in Amazon? Things that were also purchased with? Things that were also purchased with? Well, if that, if they thought that I needed that, I must need it. 
things that we're also purchased with. Listen, the reason why, the reason why I think consumerism is so bad for your financial health is because Jesus says this, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And when you are not content, you open your heart up to other things. Where you put your treasure is where your heart is. And when you spend money on this, 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 you just begin to open your heart up to allow those things to become the main thing. Right? And so, that's... I. I I think consumerism is probably the most detrimental thing to our society. And it's fueled by comparison and all sorts of other things. And I can get off on a tangent about that. But consumerism is rooted in jealousy, greed. I got to have it. I just got to have it. How many of you like, how many of you like, you see something that someone else has and then you are going to move heaven and earth to get it? How many of you have ever been there before? I have. I have. Even if that thing is good, that's still an impure motive. You're still operating out of a spirit of discontentment. And I've learned that just being thankful for what I have is the key to being content with what I have. Being thankful for what you have is the key to being content with what you have. Okay? Listen, last couple questions. Here, here, I want you to ask yourself this. Am I faithful with little things? Am I faithful with little things? Things that seem like that they are not a big deal. Am I faithful with those things? Do I, do I make sure that those are, are important? Right? Do I care about the little things? Right? Because in Luke 16, Jesus says money is a little thing in comparison to the riches of heaven. And, he, and this is what he says. How you manage worldly wealth is how you will manage the riches of heaven. How you manage your money is a picture of how you steward the presence of God day to day in your life. Do you treat it as, eh, just kind of comes and goes, right? We have that, uh, what's that problem that we have in the, in the charismatic church? What's it called, Anna? Mm, she doesn't know. We talked about it once. We have. <laughs> yeah. We talked about it once. Yeah, that's right. 
we have such a problem with trying to summon the suddenlies of God. We try to recreate the upper room all the time. Can I like tell you something? You do know that the charismatic church is the only church that places the emphasis that they do on Acts chapter 2. In the world, in the entire world, the charismatic church, we place the emphasis on Acts chapter 2. And specifically, the beginning of Acts chapter 2, where tongues broke out, landed on everyone's head. That's what we place the emphasis on. And if that's happening, then the church must be thriving. And that could not be the furthest thing from the truth. Just because you speak in tongues doesn't mean you're kind. It doesn't even mean that you're like Jesus. Can I, can I, can I, can I like, can I just take a second? Jesus didn't speak in tongues. <laughs> Jesus didn't speak in tongues. He didn't. And our emphasis is on all of this stuff that we have said are the riches of heaven. And none of that is the riches of heaven. None of it. The riches of heaven is not. I heard some, someone sent me a clip recently of someone saying that the manifestations of the Spirit of God, right? Tongues, people falling out on the floor, people worshiping. That is the new wine that God is pouring out in the earth out of John chapter 2. And their church is the only one that has it, by the way. They're experiencing the new wine. It's a terrible hermeneutic to start because the new wine is the person of Jesus. It is the person of Jesus. It's not a move of the Spirit. It is the person of Jesus. Jesus was the new wine that burst the old wineskin. His ways were so offensive to the Pharisees that it burst the old wineskin. Why do we talk about money every week here? Because Jesus says, how you handle your money is how you are going to handle the riches of heaven. Moves of the Spirit cannot and should not ever be defined by manifestations. Only should they ever be defined by how they form you into the image of Jesus. And if they are defined by solely their manifestations, I would bet my bottom dollar, I would bet my bottom dollar that they're not doing a great job at forming people into the image of Jesus. The reason why we handle money and talk about money the way that we do is because we want to do the things that Jesus said to do as a community and as a church. Because that is how you are handling the riches of heaven. 
So like, for instance, if you just come to church, I'm on this, I am on this, uh, this kick right now. I'm sorry. Someone sent me another clip. of Someone preaching. And they said, you're not just made to go join a good church. Okay. Continue on. You are made, and the only reason that you exist, the only reason that you exist, and the only way that you will have every need met in your life is just you just get in the presence of God. That's the only way you're ever going to have every need met in your entire life. Now, I want you to imagine this. Imagine going to the New Testament and coming away with that conclusion. Imagine going to the New Testament and saying, you know what, we're going to reject everything that Jesus said about dwelling together with one another. We're going to reject everything that Paul said about the church. We're going to reject all of those things. And we're not going to do any of that stuff because if we just get you in the presence of God, then everything else is going to be taken care of in your life. That is nonsense. That's not true. If you want receipts, I got them. I know tons of people who have spent their entire lives around ministries who focus on nothing but the presence of God, and they are so jacked up because the church is made to meet needs, to take care of each other. So rejecting the job of the church, you reject the call to even follow Jesus. If you say that the ways of Jesus is just to get you into the presence of God and everything else in your life is fixed, you haven't read the New Testament faithfully. You just haven't. And it doesn't, I don't care how long you've been reading it. So when we talk about money, we want to handle the riches of heaven, the ways that Jesus instructed us to do life together. That's the reason that we focus on how we handle money. Because Jesus says, if you handle this right, I'm going to trust you with this. I'm going to trust you with this. Listen, anybody, do you know what would be the easiest thing to do? The easy way out in modern day church culture is just to hire someone who can preach good, hire the best worship leaders, and come together, worship your faces off, somebody get up and preach a message, and then y'all go home and never have any connection with each other, and never do life together, and then we call that church. That is not church. It never was church, and it never will be church. That is a glorified, strange way of doing conference ministry. The church is not an event and it's not a conference. And the way that we do church is often in reflection with the way that we handle money. 
we are as faithful to the ways of Jesus and the way that he instructed us to build the church as we are faithful with money. Listen, can I tell you something? Money is not to fund us to do more ministry. It's not to fund more staff members. That's not the purpose of money. It's not for you to come be a part of something, so into it, and then God's going to bless you and give it back to you. It's not to come here and become a partner with me or the worship team. Or if we get someone on stage who has a ministry and we say, we want you to partner with their ministry. That's not the purpose of the church. There's something in the... Have you ever heard of the Didache? Oh, some people have, yes. I taught it on a Wednesday night. Praise God. <laughs> Mentioned it. You know, in the Didache, this is what they said. If a minister comes into town, provide for him a room to stay for a day. Provide for him meals. And if he stays longer, he is to say one day... And one day longer. And if he stays more or if he ever requests money for his personal ministry, we are to consider them a false apostle or prophet. Ministry is not so that you fund my ministry. Me preaching is not to fund my ministry. Church is not so that you fund me and I come to church with a word from God because I don't have to worry about anything. Listen, part of the role of the church is to take care of the clergy. But I also have a responsibility to the church. And so it's not for anyone to come here and fund me or Emily or Brandon or Jamie. That's all of our paid staff. It's not to just fund us. That's not what this is about. The, how we handle money. How we handle money will always tell the tale of how we are doing church and if we are doing it in the way that Jesus has instructed. And so I want to be faithful to the ways of Jesus. I want to be faithful to the New Testament. Jake, you can come on up. I want to be faithful with little things. I want to be trusted with wealth that is worldly so that I could be trusted with more of what he has to more of what he has in the realm of what he is doing among us that's the reason that we treat money the way that we do it's not because we're here trying to quote unquote do ministry that is not the purpose of this. Ministry is caring for the poor and being formed into the image of Jesus. Ministry is also not us just talking about your sin issues. That's not what ministry is. Ministry is painting a picture of Jesus. So that we are all formed into his image. That's what ministry is. It's not me preaching great. It's not Emily and them leading worship and being the best worship leaders on the planet. Even though that I think they're really great. And I think our team is really great. I think all of those things. 
But that is not what ministry is about. It's not. It's caring for other people. Caring for other people as we are being transformed into the glorious image of Jesus. And how faithful we are with something as little as money, Jesus says, is how faithful we will be to do that. I'm not here for an event. I'm not here for a social gathering. I'm not here for entertainment. I am here because of the role of the New Testament church to be in fellowship with one another and to be in fellowship with Jesus. Those things. That's why we come and meet together. And listen, if you ever want me to preach like really, really, really great sermons, I'm probably not your dude. Probably not your dude. It's just exhausting. Right? And what is a great sermon? Who gets to decide that? It was a really good word from God, brother. What is a great sermon? Probably looks a lot like Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Care for all of those people who are broken and hurting. It probably looks like the council that Paul went before before he was ordained to go plant a church and he preached to them the council preached to Paul the apostle and said before you go plant this church you better be sure that you do one thing and if you don't do anything else you care for the poor you care for those who do not have I don't care if you ever have a service but if y'all come together and you care for other people this is the only thing that is a requirement for you. And so for us, we're going to come together and worship Jesus and we're going to care for those around us. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to be as faithful with that as we know how to be. And listen, you will only be as faithful to that as you are faithful with money, which Jesus considers a little thing. Because this is so much more important. What happened this morning? More important than money. What's happening right now? More important than money. But there is a correlation with how you treat the two. How you treat money is also how you'll treat this. And I want to treat this well. So therefore, I'm going to be sure that my money is in its right place. Amen.